Thanks for tuning in to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. For those of you that are new to the pod, we explore the world of product marketing through the lens of the women who run it at some of the fastest growing technology companies in the world. Shout out to our sponsor, Clue. You're losing 30% of your deals to your competitors. Not cool. That competitive revenue gap is costing your business millions of dollars. So how do you tip the scale in your favor? Clue's competitive enablement platform makes it simple for product marketers and compete pros to give their revenue teams the exact right intel at the exact right time. Positioning, messaging, objection handling, and FUD, Clue shares real-time competitive insights in the places your reps already live. It makes it easy for them to contribute insights from the field. All right, let's do this. Welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan with Adobe. Today, I am so excited to speak with Jung Liu, the Senior Director of Product Marketing at Wiz, a cloud security platform. Previous to that, Jung hails from Okta, where she had a seven-year tenure and went public with them. And prior to that, she had a career in finance. And before that, she had a career as a professional online poker player, which is the first one I've seen on Women in Product Marketing, so cannot wait to dive into that. She's also a top 100 Sharebird PMM mentor. So thank you so much for your contributions already to the PMM space. And so happy to have you here today, Jung. Yeah, thank you, Mary. I'm super excited to join this. I think this was one of those things I got about, hey, do you want to do this? And I was like, oh, it's for women in PMM. Absolutely the most no-brainer one I could do. That's so amazing to hear. Well, let's get real right away. Can you share with us a time that you failed and what you learned from it? Yeah. I mean, there are so many, (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) but one in particular that, you know, has always kind of stuck out in my mind and has also been sort of one of the pivots I took that led me into product marketing was, as you mentioned before, I came from a finance background and I grew up in Silicon Valley. Both of my parents were entrepreneurs as well as engineers. And so in many ways, I was the one that like rebelled into finance. And so I decided to kind of get back to my roots, come back into technology. And so when I was in business school, I did my summer internship at the smallest startup that I could find. Because in my mind, I thought, you know, there's no better way than to just dive straight into it as far as I can get. And let's join this startup where it was just me and the founders. And I would say the entire summer was a gigantic failure for myself because I could make no impact, right? Like I was joining a startup for an area I had no experience in. It was sort of around like a technology for organizations to create forums for their businesses. And so I had zero understanding of that space. There was zero product market fit. My role was completely undefined. They were all tech people. So they said, you will do business stuff. And I said, cool, I will do business stuff without having really any understanding of what that meant. And so I ended up just spinning my wheels a ton, like did tried to do a little partnership stuff, try to do a little marketing, try to do a whole bunch of different things. And it was a failure on every single possible front. And so you know, that's totally fine because in many ways that really taught me number one, okay, maybe the entrepreneur thing is not really where I should start. And maybe I should start with something where I have a foundation where I can really build that impact. And so ultimately that led me to decide, 
okay, I have a finance background. I want to move into tech. So as I think about my next full-time role, I should hold one of two things constant. One, either the industry I'm in has to be the same. So maybe I'll do something in finance or go into fintech, or I should go do something where my sort of day-to-day responsibilities and skill set could be used. So meaning more of that like consultative background or the financial analysis effort. And so ended up taking that and finding a role at Okta where they needed someone to essentially build out the business value practice on the product marketing team. And I thought, oh, wow, this is perfect. I used to live in Excel. That seems like so long ago, but I used to live in Excel and I used to work with clients on a day-to-day basis on their finances. Let's go do that. And it ended up being such a great opening for me because I had never heard of product marketing before that and ended up falling completely in love with product marketing. What a story. Well, I was having all the feels for you because I've definitely been in those situations where you're like really trying your hardest, but you're just not set up for success. And it's like a couple of months or three month period. And you're like, oh my God, this is not how I'm used to operating. Like somebody help. But I'm so glad that it didn't scare you away from tech. And I love that framework that you had. I often encourage people trying to get into PMM to take that path. Like if you already know an industry really well, or you're working internally at a company, like go on the product that you know super well to then learn how to be a PMM. So it's not like 45 things that you're trying to master at once and feeling like you're failing at everything. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I give similar advice as well. Try to keep the industry constant or if you know B2B really well, right, use that. And if you want to get to B2C, find a way to pivot maybe through B2B2C, but, you know, make it a more manageable stepping stone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's hear about your role at WizNow. So you found the perfect career for you, PMM, and now you are senior director here at Wiz. Let's hear more about it. Yeah, so Wiz, I've been here as the Senior Director of Product Marketing now for just over a year. So Wiz is a cloud security platform. It sort of just, you know, burst onto the scene of this market, kind of like a whirlwind. They were founded back in 2020, March 2020. So, you know, really ideal times for all of us back then. But they really revolutionized cloud security. And what they do is they actually came at the market from the perspective of, we want everyone building in the cloud to be able to think about security, right? Whereas traditionally, security tools are really built for security people. And when you move to the cloud, you, of course, have developers and DevOps folks. And if you try to sell them a security tool, they're kind of like, eh, I don't know about that. It's a lot of information. I don't know how to read it. I don't understand this vocabulary. No, thank you. And so what Wiz has been able to do is actually provide this platform for cloud security that covers all of the different types of risks that you might see in the cloud, but more importantly, becomes that common foundation that everyone building in the cloud can use to understand their security posture and work together as a team to be able to manage the different risks involved. So super awesome company. It's been growing insanely fast. I thought Octo was fast, but Wiz is so much faster. We actually became the fastest growing tech company ever doing one to a hundred million dollars of ARR within 18 months. So really they sold for six quarters. Wow. Um, 
to get there. We've, you know, doubled since then. And we've, I think at this point are the largest or most highly valued private security company that is out there. So really incredible company. I was brought on because in many ways, there wasn't really a product marketing function. And Wiz kind of treated things as sort of having three different phases of its growth. So the first phase was very much about finding a product that really connected to customers, making sure they had that product market fit. The second phase was very much of a sales-led type of effort, right? Connecting directly with interested organizations, managing those discovery questions, selling the value of the product, but very much in a sort of one-to-one manner. And then third phase, which is sort of the phase that we're in now, is all about how do we scale that, right? We have all of these different conversations that we know work out, but what's the best path forward? What's the best message that we can go out to the market with? How, what are the different you know, channels with which we can do that and have one of those one-to-many conversations? And so I was brought on board really to create that product marketing foundation. And so it's definitely been a whirlwind of a year doing a lot of kind of zero to one building, but we now have an amazing, small but mighty product marketing team, myself and five other folks across more of the kind of business leaning PMM side, the technical product marketing and business value. That's amazing. Wow. Well, I'm glad they brought you on when they did. It sounds like incredible growth and you're no stranger to incredible growth. Having worked at Okta when, at the time that you did when they IPO'd, how was that experience? Just kind of going through that, that really big growth to that big moment too. Yeah. Okta was such a phenomenal experience. We loved Okta. I mean, all of us bled Okta. It it was really a true team. And it was also just an incredible rocket ship to get to experience and be part of at the same time. I think I joined Okta when we were about 400 people. I left when we were 6,000 people after seven years. One of my favorite things about it was actually one of our co-founders used to say, The job that you had six months ago is not the job you have today, and it's not going to be the job that you will have six months from now. And so just always being in that place of growth and different challenges really, really appealed to me. And the other cool thing about it, which I highly recommend for product marketers that are out there, always look for those hyper growth scenarios because not only do you get the challenges, but it brings you opportunities. Because one of the things that my manager used to always say to me, especially early days was, oh, we just opened up a new headcount. What is it that you actually like doing? What is it that you don't want to be doing? Where do you want to go? And then we can kind of like redefine your role as we're hiring on new folks as well. And so I was really able to take that and move from, you know, business value where I started into more core PMM. And then I was able to kind of lead myself onto the newer area of the business because I'm really into kind of that greenfield aspect of PMM. And then I was able to then parlay that into leadership roles as well. So highly recommend that hyper growth experience. It is not easy. It's definitely a double-edged sword, but it gives you both the challenges and the opportunities to grow from. That's so amazing. And yeah, I've never heard that way of framing growth in terms of headcount. I've never been in a company where they're like throwing out headcount so often that you get to pick it. So that's super cool that you got to have that opportunity. And just to be somewhere where they were really transparent about 
the growth and what that meant for everyone in their role and the expectations, because it probably wasn't for everyone, but to just have that be said over and over again, and to make sure that everybody is on board and really wants to be there and is like, we're in it for this growth, like wherever that takes us. I think that's such great leadership to actually share that vision. Yeah. And I think the other big thing that it does for you as an organization is the collaboration, right? Because no one's like wedded to their current job or to their current way of doing things. And so I remember, you know, on my, I think, second week at Okta, my chief product officer brought me into a conversation with our chief customer officer. And we came out of it and he just said like, yeah, that thing you were telling me about last week, like, just go do it with her. I was like, what? Oh, okay. And I was expecting, especially coming from finance, a little more resistance to things, but you lay out your perspective on what you think we should do that will be the best for the business as well as best for our customers. And people are just very willing to take that input and change what they currently have in their plan. That's so amazing. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that experience. I'm always curious about people that have been on the roller coaster ride on to IPO. So really cool to hear your experience there. And then also you are an online poker player. I, I think it really stuck out to me on your LinkedIn profile too, because it was written in such a PMM way that it, it actually shared the metrics. So it was like, I grew the business from $100 to 100K <laughs> using all of these different tactics. I was like, I love how this has become like part of your resume and part of who you are. So please tell me more. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a very competitive person. <laughs> like I hate losing. And so when I was in college, my current husband, then boyfriend, he started picking up poker. And this was kind of like the heyday of online poker, like Chris Moneymaker, if anyone remembers that, had just won the World Series of Poker. And so everyone was thinking about it because he was like a nobody, right? Basically, like some dude off the street who had some interest in poker just came in and won like the whole thing, millions of dollars. And it just really was kind of like almost that rags to riches story that everyone loves. And so my husband started playing. At first, I, you know, didn't pay any attention to it because he was losing. But then after a while, he started winning. And I was like, well, if you can do it, clearly I can do it better. And so I started doing it as well. And I just ended up loving it because there's kind of the quantitative element of it, which is super important. But if you only play the quantitative side, you're not going to win, right? Because it's kind of that balance of quantitative and qualitative, right? The facts on the table versus the psychology element. And I love kind of that mix. And I'm going to bring it back to PMM because that's what we do. And it's actually kind of one of those things that I've learned about PMM that is why I love it so much because we're not just quantitative, right? In what we do, especially when it comes to B2B product marketing, because you could hire any data scientist, right? And they'd be able to do PMM in that way. But the reality is what PMM does really well, especially when it comes to data synthesis, is take in all of these various data points, which could be a quantitative data point, but oftentimes is qualitative, right? How does a customer feel about this particular pain point? How do they interact with a different stakeholder? What are your competitors talking about? What are the analysts talking about? There's all of these different data points that you have to stitch together. You can't just only take one side of the equation. You have to bring it together. And that informs your view that or your kind of intuition about how to proceed forward. And then you kind of test them as you go along. But 
kind of love that element of, yeah, quantitative, qualitative psychology plus facts on the ground. So if you aren't a PMM and you want to start off, you can go the route of being an online poker player and then this could be your path too. Exactly. You heard it here first. If you're not going to do that, you know, the leverage way that we talked about at the beginning of this, (laughs) online poker. That's so amazing. Well, I love it. I mean, it's really funny, right? In hindsight, like all the skills you're building in your career, no matter what it is, are really helping, you know, where you landed and where you're going. So I love that this is really tangible and that's just... I love the story and how you use your really quant and qual approach to be really successful. That's really wonderful. So before we get into some of the PMM topics and talk through your AMA, you had a recent post on LinkedIn that got a lot of traction and it was about your first year as a working mom and some of the challenges that came through that. And so first of all, I just wanted to say congratulations, but also I wanted to say, I see you and I know how hard it is. So How's it been going? Do you have anything to share about what you've learned this last year? Yeah, I mean, first thing, shout out to all the working moms out there. I mean, wow. They tell you it's hard, but then you don't quite grasp how hard it is until you actually do it. And it's not necessarily hard in the sense of, oh, I have like this whole work world of stuff I have to do. And then I have on the personal side, this whole other list of stuff. I have to do, I think it's actually really hard because of our own expectations. And at least for me, I feel guilt all the time. Like I'm not doing my best at work and I'm not doing my best at home. And I think that is actually the most challenging part of it, right? It's not the sort of like day-to-day minute by minute, but just kind of like feeling that kind of weighs on you. And I don't know about you, Mary, or how you do it. I think everyone has their own sort of coping mechanisms. But for me, it was just realizing it's okay, (laughs) right? It's okay if I'm not checking off all the boxes here or all the boxes there, or, you know, I'm not feeling the best at any given moment of the day. It's really just, we're trying and that's okay. And we're all in it together. And it's kind of just like giving yourself that grace to feel okay about things and not always be like, I am crushing it on every front. Yeah, totally. And I think that's a really hard thing for people that have been super ambitious and just really strong executors until this point when you just do not have the hours in the day. Like I can't work until six o'clock. I can't work till midnight. I can't do any of those things anymore. So I feel like for me, I've just really learned how to prioritize as much as possible. And sometimes I miss it and I prioritize the wrong thing, but I think prioritizing yourself and making sure that you have the time to kind of get centered and even have like a transition between mom life and home life in the morning, that little change has made a big difference to take a walk or something before you jump into the next thing. So, but yeah, overall giving yourself grace and just saying like, it's okay. I'm doing the hardest job in the world and I have another full-time job. Like it's okay if it's not 100% A plus every time on every single tax. And I think it helps you to figure out, you know, how do you delegate and how do you look at the worlds of all the things that you're doing in a different way. But thank you for sharing that. I think it is so much harder than you can ever imagine. And I'm glad to see you're learning how to be gracious with yourself. But it's actually, as I think back on it, I actually think the first year of working or being a working mom and it coinciding with Wiz 
was actually extraordinarily helpful to me, yeah. right? Of course, there's times when I think, oh my God, I have like a million other things I could have done during this period of time. But I think it was actually good in the sense that it gave me the time to pause and reflect on things. Because had I not had the baby, <laughs> I would have probably just continued working as I always worked. Whereas now, you know, I have this like forced break, like usually from 6 to 10 p.m. every weeknight, where I'm just going to hang out with the baby and we're going to play and I'm going to try not to think about work all of the time. And so in many ways, like having that break and having the reflection that you can do and not always just being like so deep in it has been hugely helpful. That's so great. Well, thank you for sharing. And again, congratulations. And the first year is so hard. I'd like to say it gets easier. I don't know. If, I think there's just different phases, like to hard in different ways, but um, I learned actually in the last year, it gets easier is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's different. It's maybe not hard in the same way, but <laughs> it's still hard. Well, great. Well, I want to jump now into your AMAs. So you had this amazing AMA that you did on messaging recently on ShareBird. So I wanted to share some of the top questions today and really get your playback on what you think of each of these. So first question for you on messaging is, do you have a messaging template that you like to use? What's that all about? Yeah, this is super interesting because obviously I did the AMA when I was at Okta and it was my one seven year long PMM experience. And so I think I would actually answer things maybe in a different way now, yeah. and, you know, the perspective of Wiz. So when it comes to messaging template, for me overall, I would say in every messaging template that's out there is going to be fine for the most part as your starting point. It really, at the end of the day, comes down to the collaboration effort behind the messaging framework, or rather, maybe I'll put it a different way. It's like, what is the intention of a messaging framework? And I think there's two, right? One is it's a way to sort of self-organize in a sense and bring clarity into, you know, what is the most crisp way that I can talk about how we're differentiated on a particular product area or feature. That, as long as you have all the key questions on there, like every messaging framework is going to have that. So you get that. But the second piece of the messaging framework is it's all about scale, right? And so we want to deliver this to, let's say, the enablement team so that they can build it into materials that they might be preparing to enable your field, your customer success folks, your partners, you may be sending it out to your content marketing team or other folks in demand gen who are then creating derivative content off of that. And so for that, I think it really is much more about the collaboration. So vetting that messaging framework that you choose with what are the things that they are going to need. And so I think that second part is much more of a like whiz learning in that, you know, you can kind of take PMM playbooks and bring them in. But when you get to a startup, especially like Wiz, which is just on a crazy trajectory in some, you can't be wedded to anything, right? And so making sure that your closest stakeholders are bought off on that messaging framework, that's even more important than whatever messaging framework you end up choosing. 
That's such a good point. And I don't think enough people talk about that, but I know we all do it. Like if you're using frameworks, you, or hopefully most people are doing this, like tailoring them to the needs of your company. But I don't think anyone explicitly says that. So that's really important. And yeah, I think when you bring framework in, people are always very impressed with that. And it does help bring some organization, but just making sure that there's agreement on that. That's so key. And then that saves probably tons of cycles in that, you know, making sure that you just had the right things in there before you get it out to the team. So love that approach. Let's see. So next question is about testing. So how do you, and at what stages do you test your messaging? Yeah, I think we should be in a constant state of testing. And I test kind of throughout the process. Anytime I have a customer meeting, I'm probably going to throw up like whatever's the latest thing that I've been thinking about or working on. If I'm going to an executive briefing, I'll do that. If I'm going to a conference and doing a presentation, I will do that as well. So I'm always testing things. It's not necessarily from the mindset though of like, I'm going to this conference and I'm going to go test A versus B of how I say something. It's more just, you know, what is kind of my latest thinking or someone else on my team's latest thinking or someone from the products team's latest thinking for what we can say to a very specific audience and kind of like pivoting that message for that. So constant state of testing. And I think the key to testing is the feedback loop, right? We can ask questions around how did this resonate for you versus getting feedback directly from our field, for example, on how things went. So I think it's super important to close that loop from a testing perspective. And then of course, there are times where you just kind of like saying it aloud on stage kind of helps you to really crystallize things. One of the things that I think I made a mistake on when I was earlier in my PMM career was not really like closing that loop as much. So I remember a piece of advice that I got from someone, because when I present, I can kind of just keep going for a while and have a whole monologue. And so one of the tricks that someone told me was, okay, you know where you want to ask a question of a customer or someone on the other side just put something on the slide that only you will notice to stop yourself. So I would put like a tiny period in different places on a slide. And that would be kind of like the recall of, oh yeah, I should ask, did this resonate with you? Or do you feel this pain in your organization? Or how are you working with other members of your team on this? Ooh, I love that. Yeah, this is great. Cause I mean, there's all kinds of ways you can test messaging and, you know, we could talk about that ad nauseum, but I like that you're just like always on testing and then you can have that market playback where you just say, Hey, you know, this is really resonating or this is not resonating. People actually had no idea what I meant when I said this. So I think those little nuggets really help as you're developing and trying to build confidence in the messaging plan. So love that approach. All right. Also want to know, and last question on the AMAs, how do you showcase or describe interviewers your work in messaging without actually showing documented work, if that makes sense? Like maybe you're like, hey, how do I get feedback on this positioning statement? But I don't want to actually show you the positioning statement and like how the sausage is made, I think is what this question is getting at. Yeah. So I mean, I do ask for samples of things when I interview folks, 
But honestly, I don't like put that much weight into it because in any organization, right, you probably have other people that have reviewed it or commented and helped you shape it. And maybe there's a design team that made it look beautiful. And so for me, actually, when it comes to vetting someone on their messaging and positioning skills, it's a lot more in the how, right? How did you come up with this? Like, what were the different positions that you considered? How did you factor in, you know, a third party's perspective, like an analyst? How did you have feedback flow into this? What type of testing did you yourself do on it? So I don't necessarily look at final product. It's more just like, yeah, the how is what I dig into. That's really helpful. Well, thank you. Well, can't believe it because this has been such a great conversation, but it's already time for our lightning round. All right. Who has been your strongest PMM mentors or mentors in general? Yeah. So a couple of folks definitely come to mind. My original hiring manager at Okta and then who became our CMO on my third day of work. So then someone else on the team took over. I think of them really as my primary PMM mentors because they're very different, actually. The first one was very challenging, right? So he was more of the like, I'm always going to kind of play devil's advocate and just challenge everything that you think. And so that was just helpful just to get in that like cadence of like, oh, okay, be prepared to defend whatever it is <laughs> that you just said and, you know, be thoughtful there. Whereas my other mentor was a lot more of the, I would say the PMM structure and the strategy and kind of the discipline of it. Like he understood that really, really well. And so, you know, even to this day, he wrote this amazing medium blog post that talks about like, here are the three pillars of product marketing. These are the ones where, you know, it helps to be more business leaning. These are the ones where it helps to be more technical leaning. And I still carry that with me today. And it's part of my interview process as well. Like how do they rank relative to those sort of core three pillars? Oh, that's so cool. I've seen that actually. That's awesome that you got to work really closely with them. (laughs) Well, awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And I love that there's different perspectives that you've brought into your career too. You know, not every mentor is going to give you everything you need for your career. It's about taking those pieces that that make sense. So love that. If you could boil it down, what would you say is the one thing that's been the most important for growing your career? That is a very, very tough question. I think for me, it really comes down to just putting yourself in a position where you're going to be challenged. The flip side of the challenge is an opportunity. And being in a place where, you know, it's not 100% safe all the time, right? Where meaning you're asked to take risks, you're asked to change. I think that has always been the most important thing that's kind of shaped my career. And on the flip side of that, not always being wedded to the current way of doing things. Ooh, those are good ones. Yeah, I think it's scary, but that's when you grow, taking those challenges that can be big opportunities. All right. What about networking? This is a really polarizing question on the pod. Do you like it? Do you hate it? Or do you do it? (laughs) It's another really, really good, but like surprisingly hard question. (laughs) I don't know. And I went to business school, right? So that's like two years where you're networking in quotes. (laughs) So I feel like I'm really just interested in hearing different perspectives of people in the industry. Like I'm not 
super proactive, I would say, about networking and doing things from more of like a quantity perspective. I'm looking for a lot fewer, but higher quality types of engagements. And so for the most part, I tried to make time for a lot of different people and a lot of different inbound that comes into me. Because I feel like that type of networking is the most valuable where let me just give you something (laughs) that I have and maybe then you'll pay it back to me in the future. But, you know, I'm not expecting that in any way. It's like more just putting out good vibes and, you know, giving hopefully other people some confidence. That's sort of my approach to networking. I'm not going to go to an event and be, try to go meet like every single person (laughs) that I don't know. That's not yeah, my totally. I love that approach. You're paying it forward. You're putting out in the karma of networking, like you're helping someone that they might not exactly reciprocate, but puts it out into the universe, this good vibe of an opportunity that'll happen in the future. That's a really good take on that. All right. Last question for you. Why product marketing? Yeah. So I love product marketing. If you haven't gathered <laughs> from this conversation. So I love it because you get to talk to so many different people and you get their perspective. And at the end of the day, the thing that I love about product marketing is if I had to boil down like everything we do, it's problem solving, right? And problem solving in a very collaborative manner. And I just love that. Like you have ambiguous problems that come to you. There may be no answer (laughs) in mind immediately. And you just kind of have to, you know, either cut it up into different pieces or just go talk to a lot of different people. And then eventually you'll kind of like piece together the picture, both quantitative and qualitative that we talked about earlier, and you'll figure out a path forward. And it's not always clear that it's going to be the 100% best best path forward, but it's okay. It's not life or death, right? You can just go down. You're taking a bit of a risk by choosing a direction, but you can always course correct. I love it. PMMs, the problem solvers. (laughs) Amazing. Well, Jung, it's been so fun talking to you today. You have had an amazing career. Thank you for sharing all of your insights and what a pleasure. Thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much, Mary, for having me and for doing this whole series. This show is produced by Sharebird, the knowledge sharing platform for the fastest growing teams. It's the place to get on-demand answers to your questions and learn from leaders in the top of their field. Want more advice and insights? Head to sharebird.com.